And one of the things that I absolutely love about my training as a Kundalini Yoga therapist, because my teachers are Harvard doctors, they're Harvard researchers. Thank God that we're now in a very um, pivotal time where Kundalini Yoga therapy has been studied for almost 20 years in a science setting, you know, universities like Berkeley, UCLA, all these other um, universities that have really provided data on what is happening when we integrate these practices, we're really able to understand chakras as a scientific uh, method to clear illness, mental health instabilities with specific meditations, with specific ways we position our hands, with specific ways we position our eyes, our body. Uh, in Kundalini Yoga, I think people think right away my body needs to be flexible, but actually it's a foundational meditation practice. And meditation works with the neuroplasticity of changing the brain structure because it's shifting the flow of energy. And that is exactly what happens because of the change that is happening to the chakra centers. Podcast. The opinions expressed on Broaderlands Podcast are those of the guest speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or Broaderlands Podcast. Veronica, welcome to Broaderlands Podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Booba. It's an honor. Pleasure. Not, not thank you. And uh, it was weird how I found you. I found you on YouTube, actually. And I, I clicked on and I started listening to what you were saying. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's awesome. Like, you're speaking my language. And then I, I clicked on your page, your YouTube channel, and uh, yeah, I was very impressed. And um, I, I know you studied a lot of the same people I've studied, so it made me happy. Like I'm speaking to my twin in a way, and a spiritual twin. And um, so, yeah, um, I guess that Rumi quote came to mind, what you're seeking is seeking you, and here you are. Um, now you're on the on Broader Lens podcast to help us create a broader lens with your insights, your teachings, and your life. You know, as Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Tikna Khan says, my life is my message. So I'd love for you to walk us into your your channel and your 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 upbringing, if you don't mind. Sure. So first, again, thank you so, so much. When you reached out to me, my word for the year of 2024 is collaboration. So it's interesting because I had set that out and then I received your email and I looked at your YouTube channel and I thought, wow, everything he's talking about are the things that I talk about and also the same people, the same approach. So it was very, very, almost felt like a, a huge blessing that fell onto my lap, um, a, a sign from God that definitely you're on the right path and that there are other people that are out there that are also really on this um, mission to, to bring awareness and to bring light into where there has been a lot of darkness. So um, thank you for having me. And my YouTube channel really is a dedication. It's, it's a dedication for women, of course, in general. It's for everyone, like you said, because women and men go through the same exact issues. In fact, I really do believe that there's a very huge demand and need for men, um, communities, and healing for men in itself. But my dedication is towards the sovereign woman movement which is a, a movement of women reclaiming their sovereignty from generational patterns of emotional pain and really what i like to share in my youtube channel and where i'm building community in my youtube channel is to create a safe space where women can be seen where we can talk about these things that very often get tucked under the rug and because they get tucked under the rug, they keep getting repeated in our lineages. And so uh, my focus is really helping women disrupt the four most common ancestral karmic patterns that I myself had to disrupt as well, which is what got me into my work, which is the relationship toxic patterns, the um, addiction patterns, depression patterns, and the childhood abuse uh, patterns. Those are the four major patterns that not only I had to overcome, but that through that, I was able to develop a method to get to the root cause. And it is a method that is very 
alien to a lot of people because with it comes a lot of inner work and a lot of shadow work. And with that comes even the word of forgiveness, which a lot of people, when they've been through a lot of trauma, they don't know that it's generational, number one. And number two, they feel so victimized because of the destruction that happens to the brain and to the nervous system that that word in itself can not only be very triggering, but it can also really keep them away from doing this type of inner work. And knowing in my own personal experience and the experience of the women that I work with, it is the only pathway to really disrupt the pattern as difficult as it is. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I always say uh, by the end of my suffering, before my awakening, um, you know, I still have suffering, but I suffer much less as I continue to evolve and, and learn how to apply principles. But my first language before and was wasn't English or Spanish. It was Victimese. And I was a victim, you know, and uh, blaming everyone else except me. But I think spirituality is about taking responsibility for your own thoughts, your own actions and being more mindful, more aware and more present. And uh, for that, I'm truly grateful. Um, I would love to hear about your early life, your upbringing and uh, walk us into that, if you don't mind. Sure. So I was actually born in Mexico, in Michoacán, a very um, lush state. It's known for the aguacates and, and the butterflies, avocados. And I, w- I came to the United States as a very young child, as an immigrant child. There was large portions of my life when I was young, especially between the ages of one and three, where mom and dad were migrant workers and they worked in the strawberry fields. So mom thought it was a better idea if I stayed with grandma because she really didn't trust anyone in the United States to take care of me. So between ages one and three, there were periods of like six months and sometimes even longer where grandma took care of me. And um, grandma was not that she was unloving or or in any case, she really, really worried about me, but she has, my grandma went through so so much trauma herself. She was very, very protective. My grandfather was, um, he was murdered at a very young age and she was left with um, only with eight children by herself to try to take care of in a small little ranchito in Mexico. And so she was very, very protective, a lot of unhealed wounds, a lot of trauma she'd gone through herself. Um, She transitioned about a year and a half ago, and she's a powerful ancestor now. But she um, suffered a lot. She had to bury six of her children before she transitioned herself. And it really carried a, a, a tone of a lot of grief throughout um, her life, which then transferred over to mom, of course, because the nervous system is wired inside of our mother's womb, and um, our mother's womb was wired in our grandma's womb, Um, and so our nervous system. And so growing up with her, it's her taking care of me. I wasn't missing anything, but mom and grandma both were going through a lot of depression, a lot. And mom and grandma also didn't have a very good relationship because grandma really, I think this is what a lot of mothers do. Like when one child is going through a lot, they kind of focus the attention on what child is one that's hurting the most. And this, and they don't do it on purpose, but they kind of leave the other children to handle themselves. Well, my mom was kind of a, she's a warrior. So she kind of didn't need that much attention. And grandma kind of focused on the others that did. And that created a very uh, unhealthy relationship dynamic between them. So um, by the time I was four and five, I came to the United States and I was I, I stayed here full time and I started going to school. Um, I remember when I was in first grade that I was in one of those ESL classes where um, you, you, you were reading Spanish, but you would learn English. And I, I had so much of the, um, it wasn't said to me, but it was Society made me feel it that my color and that me speaking only Spanish was going to make me made fun of or different. So in first grade, I taught myself how to read English by myself. And I remember walking into my first grade class and I was reading these English books and my teacher was like, how are you doing that? And I remember they used me as an example to help all the other kids there because I just didn't want to stand out. I didn't, I wanted to be accepted and all of it because of just the traumas and the things that I had seen also um, in society and growing up. So um, and my mom, like I said, it's not that she, she, she had a lot of depression, 
a lot of depression. We lost an aunt that to me was like my mom when I was very young. So as much as she wanted to be there for me, she really couldn't. The one good thing about that I appreciate from her is that she never said yes to pharmaceuticals like antidepressants. And I know that sounds kind of counteractive, but I really do believe that her feeling what she was going through really has helped her and has helped me come onto this healing journey because growing up with her, she was very strict. Um, I, I got married at a very young age at 16 and it really was a way, I mean, fortunately I, I had met my, my twin flame, my soulmate, right? My husband and I have been married now for 26 years. So um, thank God that it was somebody that I loved, you know, not like a cholo or some kind of gangster from the <laughs> streets, you know, which could have definitely happened. But got pregnant young at 16 years old, had the baby. We had our child at 17, got married at 17. We borrowed money from my parents at 17 so that we could buy our own little mobile home in California. I mean, it was just like growing up very, very quickly. And so we were young parents growing up. Um, dealing with the stresses, dealing with the dynamics of the relationships that my husband had been programmed with, I had been programmed with. Everything was beautiful towards the beginning, then towards the middle, things got really, really chaotic. In my mid late twenties, I started to get really involved with alcohol to numb the pain, to numb of what what I was going through. I didn't know how to do it otherwise. And the thing with me and, and the patterns in my lineage is that they don't know how to stop. We don't know how to stop. You know, we'll start and we just don't know how to stop. So it just became something that was my coping mechanism to deal with a lot of the things that had happened in my childhood, a lot of the things that had happened in my marriage, and also this feeling as a mother that I just wasn't doing enough. I was, I never wanted to repeat the same problems of my mom, of her not being conscious there and as a and, and feeling abandoned because that's how I felt as a young child between zero to three years, brain is still developing. If mom leaves you with you, you like you, you've uh, heard of Dr. Gabor Mate's work. We've talked about this, right? So you know what happened with him. Um, Jewish, they gave him to a family to protect him from from literally the Holocaust, and he didn't know that as a baby. So he started to develop abandonment wounds. Same thing with me. You know, I didn't know mom loved me. I didn't know she was doing this to protect me. So a lot of abandonment wounds started from there, and just from mom being depressed and not being seen dad was always there and happy and but he was also an alcoholic but it was weird because he would he's what gave me my divine feminine energy in fact he was the one that nurtured me where mom couldn't so i i, I just it was a very chaotic upbringing a lot of um cortisol running through the system because of so much stress and so much um chaos and and then being a young mother and, and going after the world because I'm a Capricorn and I'm like, nothing's going to stop me, you know. So, um, we started our own business, real estate business, very young in our mid-20s, which then led to a lot of alcohol. At one point, you know, we were, everything looked perfect to the outside world. I was, I, I, I was when I left my real estate uh, business, it was 15 years that I'd been in it. I'm very well known in the Valley, involved in um, nonprofit organizations. I was president of several um, nonprofit organizations involved in my uh, association community. I was um, involved locally, nationally. You know, I was very, very driven, but I was driven because I was hiding and running away from what was going on in here. So the entire world thought, look at her. She's been married this long. She has this family. She has the material success. She has a name. She's built the name. But yet inside of me, I was yeah, thank you. And uh, you reminded me when you were talking, um, you ever see that movie, A Wonder? It's about that kid, um, a little boy who had like all these surgeries on his face. He was born kind of messed up in his face. Uh, and, but he looked to what people would make, little kids would make fun of him. So he had all these surgeries to try to fix his face, but it never, so he would wear a mask, you know, to school, a helmet. But um. The parents all took their attention to this to their their son who needed all this, um, you know, who was suffering, you know, um, had all, all these issues, and they they neglected the daughter, the older daughter, and how that affected her and hurt her. Um, and you kind of described that in your experience. Um, a lot of times, trauma—the word trauma—is misunderstood. 
I'd love to have you break down what you, what trauma is to you of your understanding. That, that's such a great question because I think it, to even start the conversation, a lot of people don't even realize they're going through trauma. And especially when you come from a family of color, like where we're coming from, we don't see where I'm coming from. We don't seek out help, mental help. We, you know, what's depression? What's, what's um, anxiety? Like deal with it. You've got to, your big girl panties on and what are you talking about like <laughs> no one gets help in and especially in, in in where i'm where i'm coming from but trauma is really it, like dr gabor mate says it so beautifully right trauma is not what happens to you trauma is what happens in you because of the experience so it's a child can go through a very severe traumatic experience like child abuse sexual abuse um, the death of someone, um, again, trauma is being left with grandma as a child. Your brain is developing between zero to five, seven, five years old. You don't know mom doesn't love you. You think she doesn't, she's just not, I mean, you don't know that mom loves you and is leaving you there with grandma. You think she doesn't love you. Trauma is even our dad coming home completely angry and stressed. And because your brain is developing between zero to seven years old, you think it's because of you. You see, between zero to seven, our brains are developing. We're developing what is known as the ego or identity. And if mom is depressed and mom is tired, even though it's because of something that's happening in our work, you you cannot integrate that. You really do make it about yourself. So then what happens is as you start to grow up, you start to recreate the same experiences in relationships and addiction and all these different things to actually try to master it, to try to heal it. When you actually get caught up in these hamster wheels of repeating the same thing over and over again without being able to do that. And the reason is, is what we talked about a little bit here before, because the only way to disrupt the pattern at the root is to do the spiritual psychotherapy work of forgiveness and acceptance. You have to shift the perceptions of what occurred to you and release the victim mentality. Because what trauma does to us inside of us, biophysically, it's very serious. Our brain physically becomes deteriorated. If we scan the brain of a child who had been through trauma, emotional trauma, it doesn't have to be physical, like beating or sexual, this abandonment. If we scan the brain of a nine-year-old, their brain looks like a 90-year-old brain because of the lack of the chemicals working correctly in the brain because of all these experiences that we've been through that we can't integrate. And as it relates to our nervous system, our nervous systems are completely wired with the reactive responses of our ancestors. Epigenetics proves that. Epigenetics proves that there's less than 1% of actual diseases, physical diseases that we inherit from our ancestors. What we do inherit is their response mechanisms to life experiences. So what happens is if they could not process a trauma of the death, like my grandmother, of the death of my grandfather, or they could not process the physical abuse, sexual abuse, they, they were not able to integrate it, then that becomes a pattern in the nervous system. And if you, this is why sisters and brothers are not always the same either, because if you are not managing your stress as an adult or as a human being, those genes turn on of addiction, of depression, of anxiety. And if you are managing your stress holistically, then they don't turn on. That's why a brother and sister, one of them could be addicted and one of them maybe not. Maybe the one that isn't is because she's actually doing something about the stress of life. So trauma comes in different shapes and forms and sizes. And it's you don't have to... For the healing to occur, you don't have to necessarily pinpoint those traumatic points of life. You have to flow energy into the system so that you can release them. Because not only does the body keep score, but again, you're unconsciously operating under these experiences where you felt like you were not enough, where you felt like there was something wrong with you. And think about the collective trauma. We're all going through generational trauma right now. What is the programming even from religion? That there is inherent sin, that there is something inherently wrong wrong with you. That's trauma. 
the belief that God is not living within you or that God is outside of you or that you have to access God through a guru or through a priest, that's trauma. That's trauma. So it comes in so many different shapes and sizes and it really, it's not important to pinpoint what happened to you. What's important for you is to flow the energy from within you to release yourself from these patterns. Yeah, thank you. Great answer. I was, I was about to ask you about epigenetics, which means above the genes, it turns on like a light switch, right? Off and on. And important to understand that. Um, I love how you talked about the collective trauma as well. Um, being Latino, being Mexican, um, even African Americans, Native Americans, you know, they they have a lot of collective trauma. We have a lot of collective trauma um i have a i have a book um he was like the supposedly the first bishop of uh of um of chichen itza um but uh he um he had a diary and he wrote how he would burn women like you um he would burn women because they were married he would burn women because they were virgins he would burn women because they were pretty before the other spaniards came and this is a, a bishop talking like, how does that affect us still to this day or, or not even healing for slavery, you know, with African-Americans and, 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 and uh, native people um, were slaves you know, or all the, the ladies that were burned alive, claiming they were witches by the church, you know, or, or and just all the stuff that happened in the Americas. I mean, that still affects us today and people don't even realize that. So thank you for touching on that. You know, I hate using the word immigrant uh, because I think it creates a label in people's head uh, and it creates a, a separation. And I think everyone's all God's children, you know, and uh, how can we have compassion for people that we call immigrants? Because they dehumanize Mexican people, you know, Latino people or just immigrants as a whole. Um, how can we have more compassion? And, and, and what would you say to people to give them more compassion? toward people that they label as immigrants. Well, you're absolutely right. None of us are immigrants. We're all sons and daughters of Mother Earth. There are no boundaries and there is no race. There's consciousness. I mean, if I look at my ancestors' lineage, I can tell you, I can remember my bloodline and we can all pull a DNA test, but in the work that I've done, when I was in the jungle working with uh, Mother Ayahuasca and San Pedro, and in my work with Kundalini Yoga Therapy, I've been able to go back to ancestors farther than 5,000 years that right now guide me. I was actually in the island of um, Maui, which I go, that's one of the most sacred. Kauai is the most sacred island for me in those islands. But in Maui, I had a very, a very beautiful encounter. And I can talk about it because I've asked permission with an ancestor that was not of a, a race it was an ancestor that was 5,000 years ago that was taller than a tree that was has been guiding me for for a very long time so I don't really I really believe that that whole word and you have to think about the English language the English language was created to really butcher up and hide the essence and the esoterics of what the great masters have taught us and even what we're here to actually learn so I really do believe that it's happening naturally and beautifully already. That you, one of the things that are, or the main reason why our brother Jesus Christ was crucified is because he came to teach us the resurrection, not the crucifixion. He came, he was, it was blasphemy for him to come and hang out with the poor and the prostitutes. And it was, it's a blasphemy that he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That, that's why he was crucified. And we are reliving that right now again. I mean, look at the war that's happening in the East. Those that were traumatized through the Holocaust are now taking action, doing the same things that they themselves were persecuted for. But this is an ancient war of ancient evil and ancient darkness that is trying to prevent what is the Christ consciousness that is being born, which is that we're all equal. The only thing that our brother Jesus Christ did differently than us is that he chose love. He chose forgiveness. And he said, you can do it too. And that is why I truly do believe that as, as crazy as, as things look right now, 
as um, remember we're ending the age of the Kali Yuga, the fifth sun, we're entering into the sixth sun. This is what healing looks like. And now we will be at a point of of resonance where we will know, we will no longer need to use the word immigrant. We will no longer need to use race. We have to really stay in conviction of our truth, of our light, love, but be spiritual warriors and walk the talk in our homes so that all of this can start to Thank you. Um, yeah, that's one of my uh, one of my favorite teachings of Jesus uh, is uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Because when you start to remove all these layers of labels and trauma and so on, you start to see clearly and you start to live in unity consciousness and you realize we're all one. All that race stuff, we're all one race, you know. It's the human race, and it, that's all other, everything else is an illusion created by the mind. And I do believe the early church founders, they, they created, uh, they dumbing people down. That's why they took out the Gnostics teachings, because the Gnostic teachings, Jesus is teaching a whole different ball, ball game. He's, teach, he's reminding us of who we really are. He's taught about illusion and enlightenment and the oneness of life, not separation, division, and needing to repent for your sins and all that other crap, you know? So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, one thing I love how you, I, I watched one of your episodes when I first turned it on, it was on the mother wound. I, I love that. Um, would you touch on that for us? Sure. Um, and then some people have asked me, you know, like, why don't you talk about the father wound? And to be honest with you, the thing about that is that the only real healing that needs to happen, if ever, is with the mother. If, if, if father was not present or there was abuse, there is resentment from the child for mom not protecting. Because you have to understand, mom and you, or our mothers and us, we, she carried us in her womb. And we are part of her. So we, are in, we incarnate into these bodies with the expectations that we will be protected by her. So even if you were in a situation with an abusive father, if mom didn't do anything to do that, to help you, then you are going to hold a lot of resentment towards that. So the mother wound, there's, there's a lot more diagnosis now. There's even a scientific diagnosis out there right now that's called RAD. And it is associated usually to like children that have been adopted. So if a child has been adopted, even if they're adopted into a really loving family, I mean, you've seen even the, the, the scary movies, right, where the child ends up growing up and killing the parents or doing crazy stuff like that. And even though they were brought up in this really loving family, even if the child didn't even know that they were adopted. Well, the reason that is, is because when we are born, there's a, a special, there's a very important phase of, of the mother and the child uh, nurturing and connecting and bonding. And when this doesn't happen, which is very common when you have a mother who's going through postpartum depression, when you have a mother who's basically going through a lot of emotional chaos, even if she tries or even if she says she's there with baby, when there is no bond, then that wound starts to uh, become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it actually, like we talked about a little bit before, it starts in the nervous system because we were already in mom's womb when she was in grandma's womb so our nervous system really being wired by mom and grandma two generations already above us so if there's chaos a lot of stress meaning cortisol running through the system we're already wired with that nervous system when we incarnate into the body and that's why there's a lot of babies that are very unsettled even dr gawarmate talked about this at the holocaust when there was a lot of babies crying because of all the trauma that was happening in there so the mother wound is one of the toughest aspects to heal because that is the person that you expect to actually protect you. In my situation, I knew that I had to do a lot of healing with my mom because of that. But then what really shook me up was the fact that I did that same thing to my children. That guilt that I carried was horrific because what I wanted to do was victimize myself and say, look what mom she wasn't there for me. And then I did the same thing. I was there monetarily. I was there taking care of them. But was I really a conscious mother when they were younger? No. 
I was in my own pain, in my own addiction. So that's what really drove me to do this healing work because I realized that if I wanted my boys to heal, yes, their father was going to have to do their own healing, but the real root was going to have to be my healing. And then what even happened after that was that I had to not only do my own healing work, but then understand that it is also my job not to heal anyone, anyone, that everybody has their own karmic path. And that as long as I can show people the door, which is really what happened. My mom grew up as a Catholic and she's still Catholic, you know, goes to church. She's scared of the snake at one point. She's scared of Kundalini. She was like, what are you doing? Very, she was afraid of what all my aunts and uncles were going to talk, say about me because now she left the real estate industry and now she's a yoga, Kundalini yoga teacher. And she wears <laughs> snake and she meditates. She was so afraid of what they were going to say. But I didn't, I was already in such a, a, a good state of mind that I didn't need to defend myself. And miracles started to happen. Like my aunts and uncles would call her and be like, oh my God, Veronica, I love what, she, I love what she's posting. You know, she should tell us to, uh, how to meditate. And now to this point, you know, she went through a really serious surgery this year where she had spinal surgery. And I, it was a blessing because I was able to be her uh, Kundalini Yoga therapist. And so she started her own meditation practice. So it doesn't matter what you and your mom have gone through. It doesn't matter how horrible the pain is. The whole thing is, I'll give you a perfect example of something I saw yesterday. Um, there is this story. I don't know if you've ever heard of this young girl who was abused by her mom. And um, she was made to believe that she had all of these different diseases. And by the time she was seven, she um, had like eight surgeries, chemotherapy, even though the girl was perfectly healthy. Have you ever heard of that? story i've heard similar i don't know if the same exact one but go ahead well this girl ended up murdering her mom and she's now 32 years old and she's there she's being released from prison and in the interview she they they asked her you know how are you doing how are you feeling right and then she's like well you know the only thing that i got to do now is forgive myself you know it's not about forgiving my mom it's about forgiving myself and Everybody in the comments was like, oh, yeah, you know, just forgive yourself. Screw your mom. Your mom deserved what she got, blah, blah, blah. That is what 99% of society says. The reason why she cannot forgive herself is because she hasn't forgiven her mom. We, and especially, this is the thing that really irritates me in the new age community, that they go and talk about all love and light. And it's all about, I need to learn to forgive myself. You cannot forgive yourself if you do not forgive your Judas. I have been a student of A Course in Miracles since 2008. I've been teaching it for five years. This is of the Christ consciousness. This is teaching the resurrection, not the crucifixion. And in the uh, course studies, it's a beautiful uh, visualization of the mountain that we climb towards consciousness and ascension and atonement. And in each of these levels, there are different Judas. There are different experiences, people that we must alchemize and accept as our saviors, not as our crucifiers. And you cannot get to the top of the mountain, which is where you are at. That's where you can forgive yourself if you do not forgive those people that you believe have, trans, um, have done something to you or that you believe have been your Judas. So I, I was never able to get up here because I was not only victimizing myself, but I was so focused on, well, let me forgive myself and ignoring really all these people that I had grievances against. So once I started to really understand that, do the healing work with myself, the relationship with my mother healed completely. I mean, I can't express to you how much of a, I mean, we're always close, but what we have now is something very beautiful and unique and that the way she sees me now and, and um, the way I see her and it, I can't express to you how, what a complete 360 of a turnaround that relationship has done to the point where I got her to even meditate. <laughs> That's like huge. <laughs> it helped her tremendously a lot and dad too. And then the relationship with my children and with my, with myself, because when that healed, the shift happened between me and my boys too. So it, it's very thick. It's very um, layered, but it is not something that we can skip over if we really truly want, want to have peace. Even if your mom dies, which is another thing that I've heard. I've heard a celebrity recently say, 
uh, Drew Barrymore, she's like, I'm only going to be at peace when my mom dies. Girl, that's when the fun is going to begin. That <laughs> is when the fun is going to begin. Because as much as we want our oppressors or our, our the people that hurt us to, to get their justice, we have to remember that justice is our success. Justice is our healing. Because I've been able to do this work of forgiveness and acceptance, the kingdom that has been bestowed upon me is something that I can't even explain to you. And that is what keeps me inspired and motivated to help others to open the door and to confront these things right at the root, not run away from it. Man, I love it. Uh, I love how you talked about... Um... Uh, you talked about, um, you know, forgiveness. Um, in Buddhism, they talk about understanding as love's other name. Um, I, I, like for me, in my own experience, I don't know how to just forgive somebody. I have to have understanding. And once I continue to develop a deeper understanding of myself and the nature of my suffering, I can start to understand other people, their behaviors, maybe their traumas and, and why they suffer or why they act that way. And that hate, that resentment begins to dissolve the more I can understand and I'm more aware and I can look at things through the heart. I kind of like that Wayne Dyer quote, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And, and that's been part of my own spiritual journey as well, is just to continue to broaden my awareness, broaden my understanding and continue to remove the layers that may be blocking my heart to higher consciousness. You know, so And it's funny you brought up that mountain analogy because I was just talking to someone about that. Just, you know, be, we live in the same neighborhood and, you know, right there, the shell, I was just such shell talking to someone about that. <laughs> so um, that was another thing that was interesting. We live in the same neighborhood. That's pretty cool. That uh, <laughs> um, you brought up the uh, serpent. Um, and a lot of times I wear shirts. One day you may see me in person and I might be wearing a shirt that says serpent wisdom. I mean, one time I had a guy that's a Christian friend say, hey, that's the devil. Why, why are you talking about the serpent? And, and that's what I don't like about religion. It, it robs people from their authenticity. Um, it, it controls their belief systems and their perception. Um, and and uh, I says, well, in the Bible, doesn't it say, um, doesn't Jesus supposedly said, be wise like a serpent, soft like a dove? Sounds like cuckoo con to me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, people may look at your um, serpent emblem and, and, and think that's, that's witchcraft, that's the devil, that's dark stuff. Um, you also talk about the cosmic chola, jo joking around, the serpent mother. You talk about the serpent mother. What does the serpent symbology mean? Because like that uh, diary I was telling you about, they burned a lot of Mayans because they thought they were devil worshipers because of the serpent. Would you love to, can, would you touch on that for us? Yes, that is, that's something that I'm, I'm so passionate about. Um, so yeah, I, Everything in this world, and this is what we're all awakening from, is, is backwards. What we're told is the opposite. And it's done for a reason, obviously. The serpent represents, in, in Kundalini, the lineage that I teach from is Kundalini Yoga. And it's brought, uh, Jogi Bhajan brought it from the east to the west. At one point, it was a secret in, until the 60s. You had to be a, a yogi. Um, study under a guru for a long time or be a royalty, like a king or queen, to get access to these teachings and to these mantras. He came from the East in the 60s as a futurist, knowing that we would come to this age of Aquarius, this age, the end of the age of Pisces, and all of us would have access to all the information. And this is the big awakening that is happening right now. And it is also in the ancient war. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with the Pharisees at all? Okay. So the Pharisees are a group of rabbi that truly believe that they're being God. What we are, what we're graduating from is the model. This is what our brother Jesus Christ came to teach us. And look at us hundreds of years later and still trying to integrate it. But they are operating under a model of a God that is a punishing king, uh, God. What Christ came to teach us was, loving God that doesn't believe in sin, that we go unconscious, we make mistakes, but we're all able to atone for them by bringing them to the light. So that is why Kundalini energy has been so villainized 
and made uh, to be scared of. In fact, in um, the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Virgin of Guadalupe, she was already appearing to the indigenous people as Sonantitin, and she was the serpent mother. To me, the serpent mother is a cosmic mother. The serpent energy is healing energy. That's what Kundalini is. It's the creative life force energy that through Kundalini yoga, we can activate for healing. And ultimately, it's beyond healing. It's self-realization. It's atonement. It's bringing the energy from the root to your crown. That is why it was called coronavirus. It was the flooding of the crown with fear so that the energy did not rise. Many people are having spontaneous spiritual awakenings. I Mine was very gradual, but I know people who had very abrupt and some because they were studying spiritual studies and some because they were doing nothing. It just happened. So we are in a stage where this is happening more and more to more people, but religion has made us afraid of it because the old model of God was you need a guru, you need a priest. I mean, even with plant medicine, you even a hundred years ago, you didn't drink mother ayahuasca. You sat in the room, the shaman drank it and saying the Icaros and then you received that medicine. Okay. Now we are that shaman. There is no intermediary. So Kundalini is has been villainized. And when our indigenous people um, were up in that Tepeyac in the mountain, they were already talking to Gonansitin, which was the serpent mother. And when she came with the serpent, she came to show us a brand new era for humanity where we would learn to use the energy, the serpent energy for creation instead of destruction. So it is a something that brings us to crown ourselves, to self-actualize, to atone. And that is why it has always been made something to be afraid of. So in general, I think anything that you're being told to be afraid of now, you need to really question. Yeah, thank you. I was I actually took a religion class recently, and um, the professor was asked about why Shiva had a serpent around its neck, or why did uh, the Buddha have seven cobras in back of him? I said, those are the chakras, the seven energies. Um, what are the chakras for those who may not know? Yeah, I, I, you know, when you hear the word chakra, you can get caught up in the new age and kind of be like, what is that, you know? I see them as brains. They're, they're, they're micro brains within the body. They funnel, informa- channel information and energy. Everything is energy in this world. Emotions are energy in motion. The language of our ancestors is of emotion. When we deny, reject, numb, pharmaceuticals, alcohol, all this other stuff, right, drugs, the chakras basically, they, they stop functioning. And because they stop functioning, we have energy blockages that end up turning into a physical disease. Every physical, all physical disease starts with an emotion. And one of the things that I absolutely love about my training as a Kundalini Yoga therapist, because my teachers are Harvard doctors, they're Harvard researchers. Thank God that we're now in a very um, pivotal time where Kundalini Yoga therapy has been studied for almost 20 years in a science setting, you know, universities like Berkeley, UCLA, all these other um, universities that have really provided data on what is happening when we integrate these practices, we're really able to understand chakras as a scientific uh, method to clear illness, mental health instabilities with specific meditations, with specific ways we position our hands, with specific ways we position our eyes, our body. Uh, In Kundalini Yoga, I think people think right away, my body needs to be flexible, but actually it's a foundational meditation practice. And meditation works with the neuroplasticity of changing the brain structure because it's shifting the flow of energy. And that is exactly what happens because of the change that is happening to your chakra centers. So it's not just your chakra centers. Like now that I'm in Kundalini therapy school, there's so many things that are associated with that, like the meridian lines that are connected to every organ, that are connected to every chakra. So there's specific meditations for us in our in our practice that clear childhood trauma. Because, for example, childhood trauma is stuck in the lung meridian, which is connected to the heart chakra. So it's a perfect science of energy that if you 
breathe this way, or if you position your body this way, if you put your eyes this way, if you chant, because the most powerful healing technique is vocal toning, which is your own voice. But these chants are they're mathematical equations. They're a specific frequency that create a specific result inside of your chemistry, which changes these brains so they can function. And when they're functioning in the natural state, that's when the Kundalini starts to rise. And that's when you're able to accept, basically accept self-realization. Now, for me, it's been a gradual. But like I said, I have helped women and in my own family, people that have gone through spontaneous awakenings where they, and this is another thing that's really sad and probably something else we can talk about on another podcast episode, but the psychosis. Some people are, think they're going through psychosis and then sadly they get put into mental institutions where they're drugged and all this other stuff. When really, if you think about our indigenous tribes, Native American tribes, if anybody was going through any type of mental health issue, they were brought into the community as shamans. They were like, oh, something's emerging here. Let's all pray. Let's all gather. Let's all bring them into the community and, and not um, separate them. That's not what's happening in the West. So sadly, a lot of people have so much dysfunction with the chakra system and the energy fields that they are thinking they have something else and it's taking them to these deep psychosis. Um, you also talked about going into the 12-step rooms, having an experience there. And um, you brought up neuroplasticity, epigenetics. You brought up trauma uh, and, and how it affects our nervous system. They don't talk about that kind of stuff. They're actually closed off to modern research in which I believe that can affect their ability to be helpful to people um, because they're outdated science, outdated information. And their book that they call the big book has become so gospel, the word of God, they don't want to make any changes. How did how, how much of a disservice are they being to people that are suffering? Because like Gabor Mate says, every three, three weeks, there's a 9-11 Every three weeks, there's a 9-11 in addiction. And that's not an, that's not even including the legal drugs like alcohol and cigarettes. That's just the hardcore drugs, you know, um, and that's crazy. So there's always room for improvement. And that's one thing I try to challenge people in the 12-step community is to open their mind and their heart and for with new information so they can be more effective with carrying the message to someone that may be walking in like you when you were uh, when you were in that state. Um how important is it to be open-minded and what kind of, what didn't you like? Because there's a lot of limiting beliefs and I had to let go of that stuff because there's a belief that something's always wrong with you. That's dangerous. You know, a belief that if you leave, you're going to, you may die and all that kind of stuff is harmful. What kind of, what, what happened to you with your experience in that? And what kind of advice would you give people to open their minds? Yeah, I, I only was able to go to meetings. Uh, you're talking about AA, right? The yeah, yeah. Because of the fact that it just, I, it did not resonate at all. I knew that the first day that I was there, because I, I've been on my spiritual journey probably really intentionally since like 2008, while I was still drinking alcohol. I, 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 I've been speaking and, 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 and researching and studying. You know, I studied Kabbalah one time. I studied, um, went deep into Hinduism, Buddhism. I, I, I was, I've always been on this journey and I made it to AA, I think in 2015, 2014, maybe. I don't even remember. But the first thing they said, the minute that they said this, I was like, I'm out. They kept affirming, I am an alcoholic. And I was like, okay, so we're here for support, but we have to keep affirming what we don't want to be. Like that did not make sense to me. So it was almost like, Every time going there was like a re-identification to the ego. That's really what it was. And and it 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 felt like these people were trapped in something that they thought was unhealable. And I'm like, there's no way. I, I know that there's this thing about the 1%, you know, that there's only like 1% of people that overcome addiction and overcome serious things like that. But I was like, it's not impossible. And how is it going to help by us just talking about how what alcoholics we are and all the damage that we've done and all the damage that we're continuing to do? Like, this is making me drink more, not stop <laughs> drinking. You know what I mean? So I, I went to two of the, the classes in the second one. I mean, they were nice people. You know, I I, yeah, I, sure. I don't 
I think if you research it a lot, there could be some things. I don't want to say anything because I haven't done that much of the research, but I think we need to look at the origins of that of that group. Oh, and sure. we need to really be be very careful because remember, everything that's disguised as good for you, you gotta like really be sovereign enough to look a little bit deeper if it doesn't resonate with you, especially. So reaffirming that was not something that I was in agreement with. I really believe that needs to change. And other than that, I didn't give it much shock because I, like I said, after the second meeting, I was like, this is not for me. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, the Rockefellers were involved early on. So that should say a lot. Yeah, so um, um, you also talked about psychedelics. And um, I love your, your family story with psychedelics. But uh, I mean, going down to uh, Peru, uh, and you talk about um, using psychedelics and plant medicine. How did that help you? Yeah, I, I, we really need to be clear about that because I think we, we're in a society now where people are just running to the psychedelics. And we, we need to be very careful because in the 60s and the 70s, that's when messed it up for us, that people were just using them very irresponsibly. And it was kind of like an escape mechanism. And I still see that now. Uh, but for me, it was, I didn't know anything about psychedelics. It was my son who told me about psychedelics. He was 15 years old. He's, he's always wanted to be like a spiritual psych or not. A, he wanted to be a psychotherapist. And, um, and he actually did go to school to Naropa for a couple of years in, in Boulder, Colorado, um, to do that. Um, but he did a presentation in high school on psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And I was so intrigued. His his teacher gave him like an A plus. And during that eight time, I was going through a lot, a big spiritual awakening, and I I was asking God for healing. And when I found out about um, uh, psychedelics, he wrote about ayahuasca. I was like, oh my God, I need to research this more. And when I researched it more, I, I kid you not, it's like everything just opened up. And it, it was made possible for us to go 17 days to the Peruvian jungle, myself, my husband, my, my two sons. He was already 16, almost 17, and the other one was only like 10, 11 at that time. But I was needing and wanted the healing so much that when I researched it, and I researched what it did to the brain, what it did to the nervous system, how our indigenous um, tribes have been using this for a long time. I was like, this is it. This is where I need to go. So we ended up going to Peru for um, uh, 17 days. I will say that I think this was my destiny, though, because in high school, when I was only 15, I think it was, a friend of mine came up to me and said, do you want to try LSD? And I told her yes. And I did try LSD at 15, which I believe set the tone for my future. I really do believe that that kind of brought me to these um, teachings. If I wouldn't have done that, I don't think I would have been as open to actually do this. So um, when we went to the jungle, uh, it was an incredible experience. Absolutely. I was shown things about my ancestors, my work that I'm here to do, uh, the breaking of these cycles, but it was very scary too. There were ceremonies where I literally thought I died and there were ceremonies where I was terrified because I had brought my family with me and I thought something happened to them. Even though, I kid you not, I spent a long time researching and interviewing the center we were going to go to, making sure they were professionals or at least that they handled themselves in a professional manner. And these, I was still terrified, you know, there's still a lot that could happen. And, and it was a beautiful experience and it was like an initiation for myself and for my family into this brand new era. But I had left trying to heal her addiction to alcohol. I left trying to heal my marriage. I left trying to heal the relationship with my kids, with my mom. But when I came back to the West, I didn't have an integration plan. So I got back to the same patterns again. I was so overwhelmed. In fact, I was worse. I'm, I, I can be around people. I can talk. I can do everything. I didn't want to be around anyone. I didn't want to go back to work. I didn't, I just wanted to be at home. I felt ungrounded and literally surrendered to the divine and asked God, help me because I'm worse now. I came back and now I feel lost. At least before I could handle it, I was still drinking alcohol when I came back. 
And I kid you not, when I said that prayer, there was a person that came to me that said, have you ever heard about Kundalini Yoga? And I was like, no, I've never heard of it. And I had studied Kundalini um, teachings, but I had never, I didn't know there was a yoga like that. And she was like, you need to go to these classes. They're going to help you. And I went to my first class of Kundalini Yoga. I was by myself in a room with this teacher with a long beard and a, a, a turban and wearing all white. I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> and when I went into the class, my first experience was like I was back at the Malacca in the Peruvian jungle. Like I was back connected to the cosmic mother. It was like things started to make sense. The puzzle pieces started to come together. I was like, this is what I've been seeking all my life. And as I continued my practice, that became the integration to help me decipher and put together everything that occurred in the jungle. And that's the problem that a lot of people go and they work with psychedelics, they work with plant medicine, and then they come back and there's no integration. There's no space. There's no practices that are going to help them really, really uh, understand what they've been shown. Because it was like Mother Ayahuasca gave me the key, you know, but I still had to get up and open the door. I still had to show up and and then really try to uh, understand everything that was given to me. So the problem with psychedelics is that people don't understand that the work barely begins after the experience. It's not in the experience at all. And because they don't know that, they act or they just carry on with their lives like normal. And then it just becomes either a memory or it could be even worse. It could be very damaging to their nervous systems. I mean, the one thing about, I know about Mother Oscar is she, she does not let you um, disconnect from your soul again. Because as I came back, a lot of really scary things started to happen with all of us until we all changed our direction and path. That, that's exactly why I left my 15-year real estate broker position. My husband left real estate as well. My son left. Um, the university he was going to, my other son went through his own uh, near-death experience. It was a lot of things that were happening. And things did not calm down until we started to do the integration work. All of us, my husband, my son, my two sons, we all have a practice of Kundalini Yoga, a daily practice of Kundalini Yoga. And I didn't force them to do this. I did it. I did the work. I led by example. And then they saw what was happening, and then they did it too. So that's really, I, I mean, you know, we've done a lot of work with the MAPS, we, we, not we, but um, people like uh, from MAPS, like Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Um, he's been doing the holy work. Gosh, why can't I think of his name right now? I literally like read on him every single day. Do you remember his name? No, I don't. Uh, the founder of my multiple oil. I, I literally read his emails almost every single day, but I can't think of his name. But he's been doing the holy work since the 80s of studying psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And now we're in about stage three where the FDA is going to get ready to approve a lot of different psychedelics for healing. We cannot mess this up. We have got to be very, very conscious. There's no, have I worked with other psychedelics after Mother Ayahuasca? Yes, but it wasn't like I needed to go find it and chase it. I never ever chase or find psychedelics they come to me and they come to me from very sacred teachers people teachers that have relationships with these plants do i feel like i need to keep doing psychedelics no i don't if the experience is in front of me and it, and, and it shows itself i have to go within for example we were in costa rica um this year and we were there at the eclipse and it was of course very synchronistic that we were there at the eclipse we meet this beautiful soul. This soul says that they're having a, a, a full moon eclipse ceremony. Would you like to come? Mother Ayahuasca is going to be there. I was like, what? Like, this is what I need to do. We went and we had, I had one drop of her. I didn't have, I didn't need anything else because just being around her presence is enough for me now. So this is not some, people think this is something that you use to escape or run away. You need to be very careful. Not only if you don't have an integration, um, plan but think about Terrence McKenna do you know who Terrence McKenna is yeah 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 okay he he was the guy who who talked to everybody about the flashes and the things and the visuals he saw with mushrooms he didn't tell anyone about the deep uh experience he had with mushrooms he ended up dying of having a brain tumor that was shaped like a mushroom in his head 
Why? Because he was talking about all the flashes, getting everyone to take more mushrooms and all of that. And then poor guy, you know, I don't judge him. This work isn't easy. The stuff that you're revealed and shown, I mean, it's not easy to integrate at all. But we have to be careful because the plants have spirits. And the plants do respond with how you are treating them as well. Or yeah, thank you. Um, we're running out of time, but uh, generational healing, spiritual healing, holistic healing. What does that look like for you? It absolutely has to address the body-mind-spirit connection. And we have to get to the root cause, which is the nervous system in the brain. Period. Thank you. And uh, how can women find you? They can find me on YouTube at Veronica Barragan or on Instagram as well at Veronica Barragan I am. On Instagram, there is a link to join if you're a woman. I do have a closed uh, private complimentary community where I do once a week a live teaching. And every day you get a post also related to generational healing and my specific method. And that's absolutely complimentary which you can find uh, on Facebook at, you can Google Sovereign Women Movement and it'll show up on the on the groups and you can join us there as well. Yeah, thank you. And I'll definitely put all your links when I upload this video and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for thank coming you so on. Much. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Nam Namastizzle. <laughs> thank you. Just know we out here. Know we all here working in a major way Had to speak on it just to make a play Any given subject, know we make a way Time to level up on the day to day Know we all here working for the greater good Expand your mind, broaden your lens the way you should From the stars to the galaxy to skin on spirituality I understand for the neighborhood